Hey, everyone, it's so great to be with you. This is a full house. We're, we call these tutorials, and I'm excited to share with you uh, two awesome people, Randy Weingarten, who, of course, is president of the American Federation of Teachers, and Linda Resnick, who's vice chairman of Roll Global. But many people know her as the genius behind Palm, Fiji Water, and so many other products. But I think more importantly, when you get beyond the titles, both of them are engaged in very hands-on stuff that goes into communities and looks at how do you get from a crappy situation where people are living with unbelievable circumstances to a much healthier situation. And so today we're going to kind of walk through some of those scenarios, the investments, the patterns, uh, habits that they've been trying to instill in communities and, and walk um, through them and discuss them with you. How many of you are in the basic business of education one way or another? So many of you are, many of you know a lot more about this than I do, let's just say that. But uh, when we get to a point, we'll have a conversation with all of you so that we can kick around some of these. That's, that's the way a tutorial works. So let me start with Linda Resnick, who's going to help set the stage and tell the story for some of the amazing she things that she's been doing in the Central Valley in California. So Linda, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm always afraid no one's going to show up for my speeches, so <laughs> it's really nice that you all came, even if half of you are family. So, um, <laughs> I had to come. So, uh, uh, our work in education is primarily in the Central Valley of California. And you may not have heard of the Central Valley, but 6.5 million people live there, and they live at or below poverty levels. Um, we are one of the largest employers in the Central Valley. Uh, we uh, grow pistachios, almonds, uh, cuties, halos, they're called now, and uh, pomegranates. And uh, we have about 4,000 employees in the Central Valley that we care about tremendously. And after much work and research, the way I would treat a new business, our philanthropic work, um, I did a lot of research to find out where I should put my own efforts when it came to uh, helping education, which is what I decided to do eventually. And um, I realized that I wanted to be in California because California's been so good to us, and the Central Valley made the most sense because there were a lot of people that were doing a lot for Los Angeles, but hardly anybody doing anything in the Central Valley for the people there. And um, so we have started, first I rebuilt a community called Lost Hills. There's a little brochure on it. There's not much PR because I like to keep it below the radar for now, but we've uh, decreased crime 83%. Uh, in three years by letting people know that they are cared about and putting in the basic infrastructure in this town, which didn't exist. And uh, then I realized that it wasn't sustainable unless I got involved in education, and that's how that happened. And you went in and you've created academy, you've created scholarships, you've created a community center. And one of the things that helped me go into what Randy Weingarten has done, um, I have done a lot of discussions with Randy in the past with various really tough tasks. You know, when you imagine, I, I walked up that that big hill behind us, you know, the Sunnyside Trail, it was a bitch to get up to the oh, top of that. Uh, but I think of some of the challenges that Randy's dealt with, and, and part of the discussion we've had are wraparound services, that right. basically it's not just looking at the teacher, the classroom, it's a whole function of other things. And Randy, I'd love to kind of get a quick a snapshot from you in terms of, of, of your work in sort of taking people uh, forward, particularly in getting them into career technology, but what the, how important the rest of the environmental factors is that, that Linda has also right. used. I want to I get a discussion of that because I don't think it's often discussed. I think we discuss small pieces, but not the whole community aspect. That's true. So, one, so thank you. And one of the things, and I unfortunately didn't bring enough of these, um, but we have this on our website and we can get this to everyone. It's called Reclaiming it's, the Promise. It's called Reclaiming the Promise. That is not just our brand, that is what we're trying to do, Reclaim the Promise for Public Education for All Kids. And once you start talking about all kids, then you have um, the issues that Linda and Steve just talked about, which is that two-thirds, let me, let me just throw out two statistics. Half of all kids that are in public education right now are below the poverty line, half. Um, and in places like California um, and much of the Southwest, it's greater than that. Half, about a quarter to half of our kids, huge mobility. So even though it's really, 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 really important to have early childhood, um, when I taught in New York City public schools, I was a high school teacher, many of my kids 
came from the islands when they were in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Wow. So that mobility issue, really, really important. And the last piece is that two-thirds of the achievement gap comes from factors outside of schooling. And even though the probably the most um, important in-school factor is teachers, when you actually start looking at the data, teachers themselves actually influence about 7 to 10 percent of what happens in a kid's life. So when you think about those statistics, then you have to think about how we really, really re-envision education so that it is holistic and that we include real shared um, responsibility. And so the three things that we talk about a lot, let me do two triads here. Number one is, what do all kids really need? Think about it instead of let's, let's not use jargon like common core or, any, or testing. Let's talk in English. What do all kids really need? Think about your own kids. I think, number one, we have to help kids develop relationships with each other, with adults, how they walk around in the world and engage with each other. That's number one. Number two, there is not a job in this country anymore that you can do and get a decent salary that doesn't require problem solving and critical thinking. Not just knowing things, but how to apply those things. And you can go up and down the spectrum, but critical thinking and problem solving. So you can't just memorize your way through life anymore. Some people might be able to, but can't. And the last thing I'll say, and then I just want to do the triad about what you, how you solve this. It's the most important piece, and I think the piece that is clearly the difference between kids who succeed and kids who don't, and this is where you actually really see um, the, the, the effect of social economic conditions. Persistence and resilience. In anything any of us do, there's none of us who actually walk through life with um, a silver spoon in our mouths. Something always happens. Most of us never actually just look at a piece of paper or a test and say, okay, well, I can do it. You need to be persistent and you need to have resilience. So if it's about relationship building, critical thinking, persistence, and resilience, then whether you do um, in the public fisc or whether you do charters or whether, whatever way you do it, we have to help kids have great teachers who know how to build these skills and have the tools to do that and the time to do that. You have to have engaging curriculum, and that's kind of where you have multiple pathways, like music or art or CTE, not simply an academic, pure academic pathway. And number three, and this is where I'll close, and this is what we've done at McDowell and others, you have to wrap services around schools. So it's not simply having a, a small enough class size so you can individuate instruction, but how are we going to help kids get the health services they need? How, if parents don't have money for transportation, how do we make sure that kids actually mm -hmm. are getting fed in school or actually have health or social services? So what we've learned is that if you start wrapping services around school, after school, healthcare, social services, you, and you actually start bringing parents into schools and you start having welcoming, safe, collaborative neighborhood public schools. And those are the schools that succeed. Thank you. Linda, when you went in, thank you so much, Randy. When you went in uh, and decided to try to change the aspirational, po aspirational possibilities for largely your workers, you have a huge number of workers in this area. Many of them are families. And many of them don't have, don't see bright opportunities for their students. And I've been intrigued, you know, if you were to go into a place that just was sort of hostile to building institutions, one of the things I've dug into after we had spoken before was, you know, how cooperative is the local, I mean, how do you bring in stakeholders? You've got a charter school here that's outperforming uh, the other schools in the area. And we had discussion on the phone saying that sometimes the city governments and whatnot there are extremely resistant 
to the sorts of gains that you're bringing in. So I'd like to kind of get the sense. Can I answer your last question? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Um, and I'll get to that, but I don't think we should waste a lot of time on that because, yes, we have charter schools, but we also impact 35 other schools. Mm -hmm. So uh, the work we do in the public sector is really the work mm -hmm. that's the most exciting to me because that's the future of education in America. It's not charter schools, even though I like them. I, I just think that public schools are where it's at. But what we try and to thank do... thank you for saying that. All right. Um, but they have I got a cool the charter check, school, by too. the way. Uh, um, yeah. What we try to do in the communities where we're active is we start with preschool. Um, we're just branching out into mm -hmm. preschools. We have three at this point. Then for the children that weren't lucky enough to go to preschool, we do Ready to Start, which is a boot camp of five weeks for these children to get them ready mm -hmm. to go into kindergarten in a public right. school. At the same time, their parents are engaged in Abrien de Portis, which is an opening doors for uh, zero to five-year-olds. Right. Then once they get into uh, the higher uh, grades, it's a 10-week course where we invite the parents to become the advocates for their children. And we realize you invite them, they don't come. But you invite them with childcare, you invite them with dinner, they show up. And when they graduate, they feel that they have really achieved something, and they do become the advocates. And then in high school, it's PK. This is all California-based right. uh, projects. Uh, we have started 16 summer schools as of this summer, which is very exciting because you know if a kid doesn't go to summer school, they lag behind. And then... Um, we, uh, we have this career tech that I'm going to talk to you about. We also right. give school grants to these 35 schools so that they can take the simple field trip or buy that technology for the classroom. Exactly. And the grants go from three to $10,000 depending on the need. And career tech is what I'm really here to talk about today, mm -hmm. but I don't want to take too much time until. Uh, but yes, it's been hard at times, and, but that's all right because Everything is a struggle in life today, and I'd rather be doing this struggle than the struggle in business, which, I'm sorry, honey, I wasn't going <laughs> to. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's fascinating to say that, you know, that, that, it's, that it's good to acknowledge that it's a struggle uh, and that you have built stakeholders and that you've gotten parents engaged because you so can go around a lot of places in the United States and you're not seeing the same things. And I think part of that is what lessons can we learn mm -hmm. from what you're succeeding, what you seem to be succeeding at doing. But, but today we're here also to talk about career tech, and, and I'm intrigued with so many of your workers in the agriculture area, and a lot of people would say, why do you need to have people with greater education in that area? And I'd love to get your quick take on that. On yeah, your, on, you know, um, four years ago, I think it was um, Education Nation or something NBC was doing, and John Dacey, who, who is one of my great heroes, is here. He's the superintendent of schools. John, are you here? There he is. There he is, and he's, he's got cute legs showing out of his shorts. Um, he's the superintendent of schools of LA Unified. Do you think you have a hard job? You don't know what a hard job is. Okay, but John invited me uh, to go on this panel. I said, I don't know anything about education. He said, but it's about the employment issues in, mm -hmm. in business today. So I started asking all the people that work for me and run our various businesses, how hard is it for you to find people? I was shocked. Mm -hmm. Stuart was shocked. I can't believe we were that insulated from this huge problem. There is such an enormous job gap. You know, I was saying, why are we going offshore to hire people to answer the phones? They said, because we can't find people that can answer the phones that were, or, or their credit isn't good enough to clear a credit card statement. So we have to go to Bangladesh or to India or to wherever we go. And um, when I talked to the farming people, it was even worse. I mean, we have 350 jobs a year that we basically can't fill without giving somebody a 12-week education to start out. And at that point, you don't even know them, whether they're going to succeed or not. So that's how the idea of career tech so was born. In career tech, you're building, as I understand it, the farm workers of tomorrow. So what does a farm yes. worker of tomorrow need to know and yeah, do? Yeah, it's a tech not, job. Yeah. In, in, it's a pest management. It's water uh, control. It's welding. It's engineering. It's all those things. And the kids aren't being trained for this, obviously. And there's a few uh, ag programs at various community colleges and so forth, but they're really inadequate. And so what we did is we went first. First of all, we understood the need. We, to me, philanthropy is a startup just like any business, and mm -hmm. I treat it the same way. Um, so we, we identified the need. We went to the community colleges first. Mm -hmm. 
and we got their buy-in that they would help have summer camps and also have some of their professors come and teach. Then we found the high schools, mm. okay? And so we started out with four high schools and they've started, they started last summer and now they're beginning. And the kids start getting college courses in the ninth grade. By the time they graduate high school, they have an AA degree in ag. They will have a paid internship at one of our companies and um, they will be qualified to take a forty to fifty thousand dollar a year entry-level job at one of our companies or any other ad company in the valley but if they decide oh thanks if, if they decide to go to a four-year school the two-year school is already paid for and under their belt mm. they can go to davis cal poly any one of you know and by the way, right. we believe in four-year schools. We gave 103 scholarships last year uh, to four-year schools, and it's something we very much believe in. But we also know that the 30% of the kids that don't graduate high school, uh, this is an incentive for them to stay in and finish and know that they will have a career. Randy, I so, know, thank you. Randy, I know that you are um, a believer in four-year schools too, but not all, not all kids go there. And I'm interested in, you know, in part of this discussion, frankly, which I think is just so wonderful what, what Linda's describing, but when you go into around the country and you talk about these issues as I have, there are many people who sort of don't think that this is uh, the right path. And they look at this as sort of menial vocation, old Votech, that it's sort of uh, what we should be doing. And, and, and there's this uncomfortable stigma mm -hmm. attached. And I'm interested when you're dealing with everybody and like looking at what is what can be done to turn that around? So let me just say, I actually taught in a career tech ed school when I was in um, teaching in New York City, Clara Barton High School, which was a school for the health professionals. And my kids won competitions on the civil right, on the Constitution and on the Bill of Rights. So I think what happens is we have to intentionally debunk this. Mm -hmm. These are not your old. What we're talking about, and I'll talk about a few models too, this is not. Um, what Votech, people yeah. used to think of as the old model of Votech. This is not, you know, and, and frankly, you know, hairdressing and manicuring and all of that are very important too, but this is not, when people think about Votech, they think about hairdressing and manicures. And they think about, you know, um, very, very low grade skills. Frankly, in any job you have right now, you become a tech, an automotive tech, you need first-rate technology skills. Sure. So mm -hmm. in, in farming, you need first-rate technology skills. Think about high-tech. Think about Adobe. Think about Apple. You need first-rate um, first technology skills. Think about robotics. So the whole notion of vocational schools being a dumping ground, we have to reverse that. And frankly, what you're seeing is incredibly wonderful models where that has been reversed. Um, but there is some myth-busting to do here. Um, and so uh, we've actually done the same thing mostly in New York, Toledo, and there's three or four other places. Have people heard about P-TECH? P-TECH. P-TECH in some ways, and can I just say thank you? Because what you're doing is amazing, and I just think many of us should thank you, but really thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you. So what, um, I'll use three examples. In New York City, we have a school that's called Finance and Food, where there is an herb garden on the roof mm -hmm. and a tilapia farm in the basement, and where kids really learn how all of the different processes and pieces of food and food production and nutrition, including opening up a restaurant, all of that. And some of the same kind of, and let me do two or three other models, and then I'll tell you what's common about them. Toledo has a school that is, uh, it's done with GM. They have a 95% graduation rate. Everybody gets internships at GM. 
And if they want to go to GM, they have an automatic job there. P-TECH, school in New York with IBM, six-year degree, very similar to what um, Linda was talking about, where the community college has been involved, where what IBM has done is said, let's back map what skills and knowledge kids need and start from ninth grade on. NICE, you wonder what NICE means. National Industry Certification for Educators. While everybody knows about the Vagara case and what Silicon Valley did there, we are working with Silicon Valley and with Adobe, spending, sending a whole bunch of, ed of educators out to San Jose to really work with Adobe on kind of those kind of certifications. Because if teachers get those certifications, then we can actually help kids get those certifications. So what's common about these three programs? And then there's Aviation High School, where you can graduate after five mm -hmm. years and become a mechanic at LaGuardia or at, at you know, in, in any airport in the, in, the, um, mm -hmm. in the United States. What's common about these? Number one, virtually every kid who goes to CTE, nine out of 10 graduate from high school and seven out of 10 go to college. So that debunks a myth there. Why? Project-based instruction, engagement, seeing a path that says, if I actually learn these skills, there's a job at the end of it. Internships with various different companies. What do we have to do to create this? There has to be a real business um, public partnership because we really need the internships and we really need the state-of-the-art instruction. And there has to, it has to be aligned with Comcourt. It's aligned with critical thinking skills, but there's real engagement and real hands-on work. And so these things, CTE, in lots of different places seem to work. This is our problem. In New York City, we do not have one computer science teacher. What? We do not have one teacher that is certified in computer science in all of New York City. So if we don't actually have, so what we're starting to work on in terms of our union is how do we create the skills base of our members so that they can be the teachers of the skills of the jobs of today and tomorrow. So Randy, can I just ask you both a question? And, and I don't mean to be so blunt, but I hear, <laughs> I hear stories where there are successes. You know, the Resnicks have gone on and figured out it takes an ecosystem and you've got to get all the pieces together. And this is not, to a certain degree, rocket science. It makes a lot of sense. People hear it. They applaud it. They say, wow, this is great. Or we hear about the partnerships with Adobe or private sector things. But yet when you step away, and why is everybody here, is because nationally it's a pretty dismal story. Right. So why are the lessons that you're learning, the practical side of looking at how you use career tech, begin moving, you know, different, why has it not gone viral yet in this country? What are the inhibitors and the brakes? It will. You're confident we, we can just let I gravity totally take place? Yeah? confident. Uh, yes, I, I think so, because it's so obvious. The model we've created Seems would, obvious. would be so great for healthcare, for instance, right. for technicians. You know, they don't have to go to college. Uh, they, they could learn skills this way. I mean, there are already uh, career tech schools that teach basic technical skills for, for healthcare care providers. I mean, I hope you're right, I but I would say you underestimate the, the, uh, the uh, chances for communities to get things wrong. I and think so the part reason, of the reason you yeah. elevate these things is to sort of look at what you've done and tell the story over and over and over again so people can do it. Because I don't yes. think gravity just gets you there. I think you have to manage what, what, Linda's, what Linda does intuitively mm -hmm. is she manages a lot of very complicated things. And she can make really complicated things. Um, she can explain it in a way that people can say, I get it. So there is all my years in marketing, but I, I mean it's it is a very because it is a very um, for this to work the schools I just talked about there's four basic ingredients number one you have to have the will to do it mm -hmm. and the staying power and in public education we want the silver bullet we want the magic in elixir America, we, want the we want to know within a four year cycle that everything's been solved. 
So well, kids' lives and futures are on the line. So. But what happens is that if the but what happens is that when the four-year cycle becomes, I want um, to go from zero to a hundred in four-year cycle, right. then you're getting a quick fix as opposed to actually doing the work that you that that's required to do. You have to have a trajectory of improvement every year, but what happens is that in many of these schools, it takes like PTEC. There are now PTECs all across the country, but we ha don't have any data about whether PTEC is successful or not. Yet, but intuitively, we believe that it will be because we are actually, you know, matching kids with the skills that they need, having teachers who are trained to do that and training kids, having internships, and so, and you see that kind of engagement. I can't read it. What does your sign say? What's on the sign? Oh, you took our picture? Yep. Uh, All right. <laughs> See? Yeah, let me, let me, so all right. I'm saying is that yeah. it's, so you need, to, you need to have the technology, you need to have the skills, and you need to have the business. Mm -hmm. And that requires some real collaboration. Linda, you, I like how you talk about running your philanthropy like you do a business. And anyone that runs a business knows that what you thought were all the assumptions and benchmarks at the beginning aren't. You have to tweak things. What were your biggest surprises in doing this? What, what were the things that were unexpected that you had oh, to adjust for? Oh, every day, every day there were unexpected things that happened. Um, but when we first started, uh, we started in this little town called Lost Hills. And uh, we didn't go in deciding we were going to do what we thought these these people needed, mm -hmm. okay? Any consumer I deal with, with any of my marketing products, I always talk to the consumer, I understand uh, the lay of the land. So what we did is we did focus groups. Mm. And we listened in the community, in the in, community yeah. with the people and we listened to what they said. But we weren't sure that maybe all the outcomes of the focus groups <laughs> were accurate. So what we did is a door-to-door 40-minute survey with every family in the community. Wow. Every single family. We sat down. We trained the local people to do the surveys, and we checked them after every house mm -hmm. call just to make sure that they were going right. Now, we've documented everything because I know that without real hardcore results, nobody's going to listen. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, another thing that we're doing. And um, eventually... You know, they were part of the process, and I thought that they would care about health care because everyone in the Valley is obese, has diabetes, and, and all kinds of other issues. No, they only cared about one thing. No matter how many ways I asked it, standing on my head, six ways to Sunday, they only cared about one thing. And I'm going to try not to cry when I tell you, but they only care about their kids and their family. Exactly right. That's all they cared about. And if we can make their children safe, then they were going to be happy. And we did a word cloud in the beginning when we did, if you know what a word cloud is, uh, there was a show here on word clouds actually last summer. Mm. But you take the words that are repeated the most often and they're bigger and, you know. So fear, no hope, uh, no future. Uh, really crime, crime, crime. And then two years later, with a new park, sidewalks, streets, you know, lights, everything, all kinds of community activities, tranquil, mm. safe. I'd rather live here than anywhere else. This isn't two and a half, three years. And crime went down 80%. You've gotten to know your clients. Yes, uh, I know my clients very you, well. Can you share with us any, uh, we, you and I talk, any of the human stories of, 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 of how this has impacted a family or two? Well, Lulu, uh, I was just a graduation uh, of our Paramount Academy, and Lulu was in the front row, and she just graduated. She's going to um, Northridge uh, for your school. So Lulu uh, came to Paramount Academy, and she her only thought was, four years, I'm out of here. I don't. I just got to get out of high school. I hate. I hate it. I hate school. So, uh, but something happened. Her father broke his back. Mm -hmm. And there are four kids in that family, and her mother had to take menial jobs uh, working, you know, 20 hours a day. I mean, just horrible what happened to that family. And she realized that her future was never going to blossom mm. unless she got real about school. 
and we embraced her because we get a hold of those kids in all of the high schools that where we're really active, and we don't leave them alone until their second year of college. Mm. I mean, exactly. we're like a cheap suit. I mean, we are with them constantly and supporting them, and we supported Lulu, and um, her grades started to get better, um, and she realized she wanted to go to college, but she couldn't go to college because she was an illegal immigrant. Mm. And she couldn't even get a driver's license. So what's the future for Lulu? Well, the DREAM Act, thank God, she became a dreamer. And now she can get a license mm -hmm. and in January. And now she can go to her four-year school. And her life has been, you know, totally she has a life. She has a life. Is so we see that. I mean, I think, I think, Steve, you know, you see that all over the country. I was just at a graduation, um, actually a charter school that w I started with Steve Barr. And um, we, uh, by the senior year, we had 83 seniors and all 83 graduated. Mm. And I spoke at, Steve and I both spoke at the graduation last Saturday. And it's a, and we did a bunch of different things in the school. It's, um, but we really focus on kids. We have, we spend our money on guidance counselors. Mm -hmm. We do that kind of stuff and we spend our money on on really, on really intimate relationships mm. um, in terms of kids and teachers. And, and you saw at that graduation, the kids, when you so, see our kids from in ninth grade, you, you see some of this hopelessness. And when you get them, and when you engage them and touch them, and they feel like someone is behind them other than their parents or in addition to their parents. You see them go from hopelessness mm. to claiming their lives. But it takes these kind of supports that in McDowell, I hear this a lot, McDowell County, West Virginia, and we just had 18 of our kids come to Washington for the week. Folks should know that McDowell County, West Virginia is one of the poorest counties in the United States, and uh, we've had Senator Manchin at Aspen Ideas, and we've talked about it, and, and essentially, and I think it's a brave act, AFT has adopted the county and right. saying if we can make a difference in the lives in the worst conditions, maybe there are things that we can learn that go out. I think it's an interesting test because if you don't succeed, it's also a very bleak right. lesson, right? Because, so. but, the, but the kind of philanthropy, one of the things I've learned today is I have to find a philanthropist right. to help us with this. But we had 18 of our, you know, 100 kids are, that are in 11th grade in Washington this week. And this is their first trip to Washington. This was, for a lot of them, their first trip out of West Virginia. And you, just the, the level of, not just gratefulness, but the sense of they went to colleges, they saw the White House, they, we taught them public speaking. And our kids, one of, I, you know, so one, one, one of our kids, and, and, and I just don't want to use their names, a big burly um, guy, and he was wearing a Maryland um, football t-shirt. And he gives me a big hug. And then one of the chaperones says to me afterwards, he just lost his father and mm -hmm. was really despondent. Because in this, in, in McDowell County, 70% um, unemployment. Mm. Virtually the, the, the rate of drug, um, drug incidents, I won't even tell you it's so high. Mm. And, uh, and this gave him that kind of hopefulness, and this was one week. This mm -hmm. was just a mi and, That's right. and but you hear Gave an on ramp to something. You else. hear people say all the time that I don't want a hand out. I want right. a hand up, mm -hmm. and that's what these kind of support systems have to be to enable people to seize their own opportunity. I want to open up in a moment to everyone else who has a lot of experiences and, and, and thoughts and maybe questions for Linda. But let me let me ask Linda a question about the program uh, again. You know, it's, it's one thing to go in, you, you, you had bo both a, a moral and personal interest, but you had an economic interest in upgrading the skills uh, of the folks that were there. It made a lot of sense for you to do what you're doing. Um, you've created new stakeholders, you've reduced crime, you've gotten people to kind of upgrade their skill set. The question I always am interested in is at what point do all the things you've put into the system 
create other mutually reinforcing kind of cascading positives. Because a lot of these communities that are spiraling downward, it's mutually reinforcing cascading negatives. And at, at some point, then the leverage on the dollars, time, effort you put in become truly profound, and they grow at a level that's just staggering. And you get stakeholders in a community where you're not then directing everything. The philanthropy's not directing everything. They've now taken hold and directed. I know it's still early, but do you have a sense that's going to happen? Or do you have thoughts about that? Well, we just got a yeah. $10 million grant from uh, the state of California for our schools, hmm. which um, is amazing because I've never asked anybody for a dime. Uh, but what we heard that this grant, except, <laughs> except Stuart. <laughs> so if y'all know Stuart, it's, your problems are solved. <laughs> um, but uh, so that's that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But you know, Randy, I was just thinking, industry wants to know what to do. They just need to be asked. Right. So really. in McDowell, we just actually need industry. Yeah. Well, that's another thing, right. yeah. But so, but now the high that, schools, right. yeah. now some of the high schools who know that our graduation rate at our, um, our, our uh, the amount of kids, we graduate everyone at Paramount, but they, they <laughs> go on um, to a four-year school at five times the rate of anybody else in, in our area in the valley in, in like five counties. So it's like business, you're putting pressure on them. Right. Yes. You know, they're going to have to, you're like Uber in taxi cabs, right? Right, they're, that's they're us. They have to upgrade the taxis if they want to. And so, but we take them to see 20 yeah. colleges before they make a decision because right. they've never, I mean, and their parents come too, so their parents, you know, I mean, that's a whole other session of, of right. dealing with that. But the other, some other high schools have asked us, you know, we already have counselors in some of these high schools mm -hmm. preparing kids for college, but they want more. They want us to teach their teachers and so forth. So it is spreading. And where before we were treated as, well, you don't know, you don't mm. understand our population, you don't live here. But now, you know, we've proven ourselves over the last few years, and we are being invited to do more and more, which is great. Which is a great. And, that, and now yeah. we've gone to some of the perpetrators of hideousness but you in the valley and asked them to uh, pony up a little bit. And mm -hmm. uh, we're beginning to get some money from the oil companies and things like that to help communities, not for us, but for... But part of it is career tech, but career tech is connected to the fact that you have a community center, that you're doing exactly. people with people on health, exactly. that you're doing things with the after-school programs. We give so. free health care to right. 8,000 people in the Valley, uh, all the people that work for us and their families. And the reason we do this is because giving them health care is useless because it takes a day to go to a doctor in rural America. You have to wait at a clinic. And by the time you're done getting your medicine, you have to go back the next day to pick up the prescription. And that's assuming you can actually afford the transportation Exactly. Bus. And so now with the clinic on site, nurse practitioners, okay, and technicians working to do all your baseline for free and then give you all your diabetes medicine, your heart, con you know, all mm -hmm. of that, which is delivered the same day if you get the prescription and by noon, or the next day, it's just a boon. We're saving lives every day. So it's a full circle of support. It's and the reason I chose the Valley is because it's small enough that, you know, it's 45,000 square miles but, or something like that. But at least I can, I can make a difference. We can make a difference there. And you, you can know? also benchmark it and show what yes. you've done. Yes. And so by benchmarking it, then you can show everyone else, hey, this is what you can do in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. This is exactly. what you can do in Dubuque, Iowa. This is what you can do elsewhere. So, Steve, I think yeah. one, mm -hmm. of the, one of the places in America that's actually has shown this um, in the public square is Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Because they've done, um, Cincinnati is an interesting city. Um, it, it's, you know, deep in southern Ohio. And it's on the foothills of Appalachia, mm -hmm. but it's also a city that has um, a lot of corporate headquarters. Um, and so what you're seeing is that they did very a lot of things, very much like Linda said, in terms of wraparound services, community schools as the center of communities. About 50 of the 100 schools became community schools. And over the 10-year period of time, they're not only number one in graduation mm -hmm. rates of all urban school of all urban sectors in Cincinnati, they have made their all of their benchmarks, their yearly benchmarks. Um, they have uh, they have an 80 to 8 percent graduation rate, 
and kids are coming back from charters to the schools, and what you're seeing is just a virtuous circle, including the fact that I know. I, you know, I was in Cincinnati. We, we did a, a big Atlantic forum right, there. exactly. And they are so proud of the things. But the thing that they say that was a big difference was reinvesting in the schools. Exactly Getting right. resources, getting out of the crappy conditions that many of them were in. We and, were at but Siemens. So now, Siemens happens to own... Mm -hmm one of the oldest wow. continually operating engine, engine manufacturing plants in the nation. When you go and meet these workers, so they've had grandfathers, great-grandfathers, great-grandkids working at, great-grandmothers working at this and, and, and learning. But what, when I ask about the stigma issue, the, one of the problems was that when manufacturing and essentially that kind of career, that technical education, began to be looked down on, particularly right. as that as America was hollowed out, now much of this a lot of manufacturing coming back to the country, what John Kasich and other people are doing is say, we have to tell people these are good jobs. Right. We have to inspire people to want to go into them. And it's like Linda said, a farm worker is not a farmer. A farm worker is an engineer, a water specialist, a, you know, a, 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 you know, has so many well, other skills. So, Virtually every yeah. one of these jobs in manufacturing is an engineering kind of job these days. Mm -hmm. Any, every high, but what I'm saying is just to answer your question, that that is a city where you now see a virtuous mm. circle. Um, but it did take resources, and it took a commitment from the um, teachers union there, mm. from the um, management, from the business sector, um, to work together. And they now are working together in a way that failure is no longer an option. Mm. Let me open the floor to all of you. Let me, um, do we have microphones to run? We've got a lot of questions, so. Uh, Testing. Oh, oh, okay, right, right here. So thank you to both of you, and um, it's uh, it's heartening to hear of the successes, both in the Central Valley and in Cincinnati and other places. Um, but uh, something that struck me, and I just it, it I I can't get my head around this is how is it possible in New York City that there isn't a teacher qualified to teach computer science? Because it's not a license area, because what's happened is that business needs computer science, but it's not, but, but it's not a license area. It's the license areas are general science, biology, chemistry, physics, mathematics. Mm. And so what we have started to do is we've actually started to do this um, the old-fashioned way, like just doing it. Um, but it's not, but what happens is that the school systems in the United States of America were aligned to general um, science and mathematics as opposed to the skills that one needed to actually code, the skills that one needed to actually um, really understand software. When I heard this, I just heard this a couple of weeks ago, and I was shocked by it just like you were shocked by it, which is why I raised it. So we, part of what we're trying to do now in New York City and other places is to say these kind of industrial certifications that are aligned with the skill sets that Adobe and Apple need for entry-level jobs into um, uh, building software and hardware, we need to make sure that teachers are skilled enough to do it so that we can actually start teaching that in 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Very back row. Hello. Um, I actually teach New York City Public Schools. Um, are I, you a computer Are you a computer scientist? <laughs> I'm not, but they, they teach it at my school. They're not licensed, obviously. Right. But, um, Which you know, school? Stuyvesant High School. Which one? Stuyvesant. Um, I guess what I'm curious about is, is, oh, this is so embarrassing. I just drew a complete blank. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm going to pass we'll the come mic. back. How about the gentleman with the iPad who took a picture? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. We want your iPad. Uh, thank you. Hi, I'm, I'm Rob Martin. I'm the director of the Isaacson School here in our valley at Colorado Mountain College. We're a CTE program that's two-year. Uh, one of our problems that we ran into was exactly what you talked about. We, we had students who weren't at all prepared to come in and, and, and do any of the stuff that we did. Uh, what we started to do, because there's no licensing involved, was take our college students <coughs> and send them down to the high school to teach the high school students with the agreement with the faculty member that, okay, then you're going to take your best student and send them to the middle school. And then the great thing was we had the middle school student come back and teach us what they learned, which we learned whole new things, which is fantastic. Uh, the problem became that not all faculty members were willing to do that. 
because the standards are so packed and your, your day, you know, every day in a high school is just packed uh, end to end. And I'm just curious, how, how do you guys deal with that kind of stuff where you're trying innovative things? Are you asking me or are you asking Randy? Either one. Well, you know, the schools are lining up to be part of our ag program. I, I, I mean, they, I remember uh, the last one we signed up was in Sanger. It's the, one of the best school districts in the Central Valley. And we went to tell them what we were doing and they said, how dare you come here and not let us in this year? And, uh, you know, it's been like that. So we have schools that are waiting uh, to join, and they, they've made the commitment, the teachers so Linda, have made the commitment. So, Linda, when they join, what does that actually practically mean? That means that uh, they are going to promote the summer camps so that the kids in 7th and 8th grade can go to these overnight camps of the Farms of the Future and identify which areas they want to be involved mm -hmm. in. They, they are going to keep this cohort of kids all the way through high school mm -hmm. that are going to be taking these college level courses starting in the ninth grade and they have made a commitment that they probably will have to have summer school every summer that they may have to extend their school day in order to do this in some areas they've made all these commitments and we in turn have built their labs and their orchards and so forth uh, so that they can teach what they have to can teach. I ask so you can question real quickly mm -hmm. do you see other uh, uh, external issues like drug use, alcoholism, if those are issues, do you see them decline? Have you been seeing those decline along with crime rate? You know, um, there were two meth labs in Lost Hills. <laughs> those were the only two houses we didn't go in to do an interview. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but they're gone now, and uh, the park that we redid was, uh, was just infested with, with uh, drugs. Um, just like Colorado is right, now. Right, right, right. Um, and so, uh, uh, but in the Rocky cities. Rocky High. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So the cities that we are in don't have a tremendous uh, gang problem, although there are a lot of gangs in the Central Valley. In interesting. So you, but, but, so there's a controversial answer to your question. Um, because what Linda's talking about are things that are also very much outside of what um, state departments of education will tell you are the core aspects. The controversial answer is it, we have learned a lot more than 30 years ago with no child left behind. And there needs to be a different accountability system. And there has to be accountability system that is about the lots of different ways of meaningful student learning. And if there was an accountability system like that, and Linda Darling-Hammond and I are, have actually proposed one, and we're shopping around Washington these days, where you, know, you actually are focused on what do kids really need to learn and how do you actually do it so that you then start, instead of having you know, kids having to take 25 different courses just to meet requirements, you start thinking about what those essential knowledge competencies are and then I would actually say you must have music and art and nutrition because frankly what and so it's really a matter of the kind of the core competencies plus the things that really engage kids have project based instruction have the wraparound services build capacity of your teaching force and then you have when you have someone who's also going to do the state of the art stuff then you have a fantastic school. By the way, we have arts programs in 17 schools in the Valley through PS Arts, and one of our schools just went to Washington in the Turnaround Arts Program, so that was... You remember your question. I'm back, okay. yes. <laughs> All right. I, I'm just going to ask folks, uh, <laughs> give a short, short form question, short form answers, because we're getting right near the end. So I, I was just curious. Is stay there, out of those head shops, honey, because that'll <laughs> kill your memory. Is there a direct correlation between the programs that you're starting, the skills that uh, students would be learning, and prospective job markets? Yeah. Oh, are you asking Randy? Yeah. You, you, both of you. Yeah. I mean, well, you know with ours that they're guaranteed a right. job. Right. Yeah. So the, what, what we're seeing as the most successful models are when business takes a real investment in both mentoring and also not a guarantee of a job, but a guarantee of an interview. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why P-TECH is um, rapid fire expanding. And that's why what the, the UFT actually is doing work with Adobe in terms of trying to figure out how we grow that workforce as well. 
I mean, this is a big issue. I mean, I, I uh, did a conference recently with 3,000 people in it. Most of them were businesses. I asked how many of you had jobs o opening. Every hand in the room went up. I had educators on stage saying, are you talking to these folks? That's now, right. some were, some weren't. But it, 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 is, it is a, I mean, this room is full because people feel it's a palpable problem. And people say it's happening, but yet you somehow still see the job openings out this there. This is a very different, what Linda's talking about and what I am talking about mm -hmm. is a very different model than the model of education right now in most jurisdictions. We're actually saying, let's work with business, labor, and the school districts to create some, you know, let's call it this, multiple pathways. Somebody wants to have uh, the, you know, uh, traditional academic pathway, that's fantastic. But we need to create these multiple pathways, and by doing so, you're bringing business right into a school, and they start having a vested interest in not only the outcomes, but frankly, the kids. Steve Adler, who is editor-in-chief of Reuters, and I love that you're wearing your Reuters hat. It's like the Fiji water shirt. You know, I'm going to have to come. We could do a trade scene. I, yeah, I'm going to work on this. I'm, I'm going to acquire a whole outfit for tomorrow. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. So I think Steve has been trying to get a couple of times at the question of scalability, and I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the conversation seems to be about that. Uh, what you've been talking about is very high touch. It's very bottom-up. It's enormously admirable. But the kind of almost pilot projects you hear a lot about at Aspen, and then the question is, do you really have the ability in the country to Replicated make this something that really yeah. happens overall? So I guess I'd ask you, is there a top-down way to come at this, and is there a national policy aspect to it? Because nobody's really talked about federal policies. There's something the federal government could do that would help you uh, scale this. Great question. Well, you know, like the state of California came up with a $250 million, so it doesn't sound like much, but a $250 million kitty for career tech. And so all of a sudden, people are Sounds interested. Sounds like a lot to me. And now, <laughs> and now they're going to do it again next year. It just got in the budget. You know, we are 49 out of 50 states in what we pay per student for education. Wow. In California. It's really bad. And so if government would do that on a national scale rather than, you know, locally in, in states, that would be a real inspiration because, let's face it, that's what makes... So you're, it's you're called Perkins, yeah. Perkins, 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 Perkins. Uh -huh. Perkins needs to be reauthorized. It needs to be reauthorized in a real way, and it needs to be formula-driven um, and has to be so... And, and reauthorized in a way of the eight levers that we know are working to actually make the pilot schools work. But does everyone know what Perkins is? No. That's why I Perkins is the national it's named after Carl Perkins, but it is the national analog to what Linda just said with the two hundred fifty million dollar grants from CTE here. And it is a program that actually is as popular in the South, in red states, as it is in the north in, you know, New York City. But it needs, it needs to actually be um, funded in a way that's formula-driven around some of what we've now learned is important. I think one of the interesting things I've heard today when Linda said they went house by house by house and polled people, did focus groups, really with the whole community, that would be an incredible place to start. So when you think, Steve, about different things, I'm, I'm always interested in what are the replicable lessons. Because otherwise, you're talking about a boutique story, very nice, great, but it means nothing to the rest of the country. So I really, I do. It, when you said you were basically collect, collecting data, that you that you know that people are going to kick the tires of this, and if you don't have it, then it won't, then it won't well, mean I, anything. Well, I don't so, want to keep yeah. investing this kind of money if it's not working. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's talk. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. like business. Right. And so, yes, we are creating a formula. And hopefully it will be able to be replicated. Now, Elon Musk just opened all. up all of his patents with all of his fuel cells yes. and energy creating hot. So are you going right. to open up all the lessons you have, Absolutely. the things you've learned? I wrote a book on marketing that tells every single secret I've ever had <coughs> called Ruby's in the Orchard. I wanted mm -hmm. everyone to know, and I'm just beginning to think about writing the next book, which is how to treat philanthropy like a business. This gentleman right there. Oh, okay. Hi. Real, we're going to do fire rounds, okay? So real snapshots. Tony Irwin from Get in Chicago. Do either of you have any examples of these kinds of school-to-work uh, pipelines for at-risk youth, opportunity youth, or previously incarcerated? At-risk youth, previously incarcerated um, So virtually all the programs in New York City are for at-risk youth. And there's some oh, really interesting programs. 
um, uh, uh, at Rikers and in um, some New York City um, high schools for previously incarcerated kids, where there's a pipe, where there's some where where we're starting to actually make sure that mm -hmm. when kids get out of Rikers that we actually capture them and really um, start doing a lot okay. of the social services too. Okay, uh, right here. Yes, ma'am. Hi, um, my name is Layla and I'm actually a high school student. Um, yeah, so um, I go, to, I live in Miami and a lot of the schools there are magnet, a lot of the schools there are magnet schools. Um, and I, I talk to a lot of kids um, and in these magnet schools, there are a lot of academies. There's like the medical academy or the business academy. But I, after talking to them, I, they say they never want to go into the profession of the academy that they're in. If they're Correct. in medical, they don't want to go to medicine, medical school. Um, how do you encourage these kids? Because they decided to go into these programs initially. How do you encourage them to stick to what um, the academy is all about so that um, you know, they actually get what they're investing in that school. It's very good that you're saying this because I need this fear instilled in me. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll see, you know, how, how we do that. But so far we've had over-enrollment coming in. So we'll see, it's going to be a hard curriculum and it's going to really, you know, take that stick-to-itiveness. But at the end of the road, what they're facing is no future, none, no job not even graduating high school. So their parents are enthusiastic about them having a career, and they are enthusiastic, and we'll hope that that'll be enough mm -hmm. with this constant mm -hmm. encouragement that we give them. But the, other, but the other and pieces... And they get two years of college for free. Mm -hmm. But the time. other piece is you can't just, you know, a lot of times, like in Miami, the schools are not well-resourced. And so somebody can have a theme, but if you're not, if you're in a medical theme and you're not actually having internships mm -hmm. then then and it's only book knowledge and you're trying to figure out the common core on top of that then it's not the kind it's not what Linda is talking about yeah. it's not the career tech hands-on that we're talking about yeah. and I mean, you I, have an orchard you have you know a, a lab you know all that it's there and and it's Can living. I play devil's advocate for just a moment? Well, I think that, you know, it sounds like fantastic what you're doing and they'll do this. But if you have people who develop the confidence, who've gone to the, the academy that you, you've created, that, that have gone through that, and they develop the confidence in werewolf policy, I'm not just in a farm person, but I've learned right. all these other skills, and they, they have the ability to, to leap into something else, that's something to applaud. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a great thing. So I, I would just say, you know, watch those people too, because they could, they could really be part of the the great story. Uh, this gentleman here, and, and, and then I apologize to everyone who has hands up. We're going to have to let you come up and mob the uh, panel. Uh, By the but, way, but, I have brochures yeah. here, not so many, but if you want to take them. Seth. Linda, part of what's remarkable about what you're, I mean, what you're doing is remarkable, but part of what you're doing is the, uh, the area that you're in has families that are, are stable and secure and mothers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles who are pulling for and the fathers. kids. And fathers, that's right. And stable fathers as well. Uh, I'm wondering, what is, the, what is the problem about then rolling this out to a more urban environment where families are not stable, where higher rates of addiction, higher rates of, you know. This is Jeffrey great. Canada's work, and he was, Jeffrey Canada's work, and he was the inspiration for what I did, and um, uh, he certainly has the roadmap for doing what, the Harlem Project and so forth. What we've you. learned in most instances is when you wrap services around schools rather than around communities, there's, uh, it's more efficacious. And so because you start knowing and then you, you're bringing, so when a school actually starts being the center of community rather than doing the neighborhood model. Can you model, define for people what wraparound services are just very briefly? So wraparound services are, you know, you take things like healthcare, social services, um, after school services, sometimes lawyer legal services, sometimes housing services, sometimes parenting services, sometimes sometimes a community college skills development, and you wrap those services around the school. And so mm -hmm. kids are at a school, for example, for 10 or 12 hours. You can have recreation. You can have a bunch of other things. So in an urban setting, if you think about if you think about the schools as the center and then where kids are, where parents are, how you start encouraging parents into the school, 
creating collaborative safe, 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 um, welcoming environment. And then parents will start telling you whether you do this house to house or home visits or whether you do surveys in a different way. They'll start telling you and kids will start telling you what they need. Let me just conclude by saying, you know, one of the things that I felt was so great about the prospect of today's program is that we're not talking about the best that we're achieving out there. We're talking about t starting with very, very constrained, difficult circumstances and producing really what are miracles, you know, to a certain degree doing that, or, or at least makes it look, so far it looks like that's the direction. I want to encourage people that are interested in this to go see uh, Linda Resnick's material that's on the Central Valley Education Center, um, Profile of Lost Hills, uh, thing on, on, on uh, uh, Paramount Academy. <laughs> and so there's great, great material out there that is very there inspiring was. to read. There but was, it really yeah. does lay out the frameworks for all of this. Mm -hmm. And also to take a look at a lot of what Randy's doing. And I think that not only in McDowell County, but other places that are, that are this, because part of it, I mean, I, the thing I know about Randy is, you know, say what you will about a union, you're often ahead of your union members. And so I, the question I always want to ask you is how many of your people you know, are with you in what you're doing, but we're seeing, we're talking to two real leaders who are moving the needle on some, what have been really intractable problems. And so, thank you both so much. It's a pleasure.